Hi, I'm Leslie Ludi, host of the Set Apart Girl podcast, biblical encouragement for women of all ages. Today, we're going to go into part two of the topic, what is real purity? And I mentioned last episode that we have a discipleship training program in Colorado. It's been going for about 10 years, and it's called Ellerslie Discipleship Training. And it's a set-apart season where you can come away with Jesus, tune out the distractions of the culture, and really become grounded in a Christianity that works. This is a program that Eric and I have invested ourselves into for, again, over 10 years. And it's been so powerful to see what God has done in the lives of the students that have come. We have had men and women of all ages from all backgrounds from all over the world over the past 10 years. And if you'd like to learn more about the Special Sexual Purity Summit that is going to be a part of our discipleship training this fall, please visit ellerslie.com, that's E-L-L-E-R-S-L-I-E.com, to find out about the dates and the details and how you can be a part of it. This fall is a very special time to come to Ellerslie because we're going to be specifically addressing this issue of godly purity in addition to all the other powerful training that you'll receive when you join us. I'd love to meet you and get to know you personally. Let's talk about purity that really works. In the last episode, we were looking at the motive of true purity. So often, the younger generation today that has grown up in the church and been given abstinence commitments and promise rings and heard purity messages and read books are throwing those things out the window because they say, you know, it just doesn't work. It just leads to failure and disillusionment or it leads to legalistic bondage. But all of that has to do with the motive for why you made those decisions in the first place. If you went into it thinking, what am I going to get out of this? Of course, you are going to end up failing or in bondage to legalism. But if you made that decision based out of love and honor for Jesus Christ, that's the kind of purity that is real and lasting and beautiful. So we talked about how to exchange counterfeit purity for real purity by having the right motive and asking the right question. And this week, we're going to be talking about the importance of inner purity and having a surrendered heart. Those are two other huge keys to purity that is real and lasting. When I was a teenager, I used to think that purity was just a line I wasn't supposed to cross. I heard all the abstinence messages. I had the promise ring. I had the abstinence pledge card. I had gone to all the youth group purity pep rallies, and I had been taught the two Christian dating rules. Don't date non-Christians and save your physical purity for marriage. And I really looked at purity as the edge of a cliff. I decided that as long as I didn't actually fall off the cliff, I could inch my way closer and closer to that line. I gave my heart, my emotions, my affection, and even pieces of my physical purity to guys in short-term flings, all the while telling myself that I was still pure because I hadn't crossed that line. I hadn't fallen off the cliff, technically speaking. But inwardly, as I began to get a little older and felt the emptiness of living that way, I knew that I had given away something sacred. I was still living in abstinence, quote unquote, but I wasn't really living in purity. In Matthew 23, 26, Jesus tells the Pharisees, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish that the outside may be clean also. Such important words because when we think of purity as an outward commitment, a line that we shouldn't cross, we're going to be focusing on keeping the outside of our lives clean while totally neglecting the inside. And just like me, we're typically going to do the bare minimum instead of going that extra mile to say, Lord, I want to honor you in this area of my life. 
Growing up, I heard lots of teaching on saving physical purity for marriage, but rarely did I hear anything about the importance of inner purity, of guarding my heart, my mind, my emotions. And when God began to gently refine this area of my life, I started to recognize that purity was so much more than not crossing a physical line. It meant keeping my heart pure, guarding my emotions, keeping watch over my thought life, and most importantly, living to honor God and love my future husband even before he came into my life. A key scripture for me during this time was Proverbs 31, 12, she does him good and not harm all the days of her life. I was really shocked to realize that a godly wife was thinking about her future husband and living to honor him and doing him good all the days of her life, even before she met him. That verse changed my perspective on relating to the opposite sex during my single years. I knew that if my future husband could see the way that I was interacting with guys, even Christian guys in Christian circles, he still would not feel honored because of the way that I was conducting myself, the way that I was acting towards these guys and flirting with them and trying to draw them to myself and constantly thinking about them and fantasizing about being in a relationship with them. Despite my adherence to an abstinence commitment, I wasn't guarding my heart, my mind, or my emotions or even really my physical purity for the man that I would one day marry. I might have been on one side of the cliff, but I was giving away so much that was supposed to be saved for him. When I finally recognized that, I decided that by the grace of God, I would not give my emotions or my heart to anyone until I knew that it was the one that God had chosen to be my husband. I wouldn't carelessly give my heart away in short-term flings. I would wait until God wrote the love story in his perfect time and way. I also committed to guarding my thought life, not allowing my mind to fantasize about guys or obsess over what they thought of me. I stopped allowing my mind to be influenced by the debased mentalities of pop culture through ungodly romance novels and secular love songs and popular magazines and immoral movies. None of these commitments were made out of a legalistic rule. And I think that is so important because when we focus on what we should or shouldn't do out of a rule, then we just put ourselves in bondage to legalism. Those commitments for me were made out of love for Jesus Christ first and secondly, love for my future husband. And because those commitments flowed out of a love relationship with Christ and a desire to walk in his pattern, it was God's enabling grace that gave me the strength to live it out. I didn't need a bunch of oppressive rules or a lot of outward enforcement to help me honor my future husband. That's what you see happening happening today in a lot of conservative circles. There's so much outward enforcement because the inward motive is wrong. I leaned on the enabling power of God to give me the strength to do what I could never do on my own. And that's the only way to adopt God's standards and have them actually work in our lives. All of those principles of loving my future spouse and honoring Christ and guarding my inner purity were so invaluable in deepening my understanding of what real and lasting purity really was. As I began to focus on cultivating purity in the innermost parts of my life, physical purity was the natural result. Just like Jesus said to the Pharisees, clean the inside of the cup and dish and the outside will also be clean. I didn't need to be constantly told to maintain my abstinence commitment. It was simply an outflow of the purity I was cultivating already in my heart and my soul. When you compromise physically in a pre-marriage relationship, it's not merely because you've momentarily forgotten about your abstinence pledge or the fact that your promise ring has somehow failed you. It's because you have not been tending to the purity of your inner life. You've been attempting to clean the outside of the cup and dish instead of the other way around. 
The first step in embracing the kind of purity that lasts is to take Jesus' commands seriously, to clean the inside of the cup and dish and tend to your inner life. And that is when the outside will naturally become clean also. The Bible says that men look on the outward appearance, but God sees what is in the heart and that he desires purity in the innermost parts. Here are some practical ways that you can apply this to your life. First and foremost, cultivate your relationship with Jesus Christ. All your decisions for purity must flow out of your love for him and not a list of rules or good-sounding moral ideas. Secondly, prayerfully consider what influences might be affecting your heart, your mind, and your emotions. Are you watching movies that promote and glorify immorality? Are you reading novels that cause you to fantasize about romance in an unhealthy way? Are you surrounding yourself with friends who have a careless view toward purity? Are you casually giving your heart to guys? If you've been looking at purity as merely a line that you're not supposed to cross, let God expand your understanding of what real purity is, the natural byproduct of a heart, mind, and soul that is set apart for him. As you cultivate purity in your innermost parts, your outward commitment to physical purity will automatically stay strong. And one thing I want to add to this is if you've already crossed that line and you feel like it might be too late for you to discover true purity, the only thing you need to do is take that sin, lay it at the feet of Jesus, repent of that sin, and by his grace, turn and walk the other direction. Once you repent and you allow him to make you new, you don't have to settle for a second-rate version of his plans for you. He can give you a fresh new beginning through the power of the cross when you bring that sin to him and say, Lord, cleanse me, and by your grace, I'm going to turn and walk the other way. Just think of the woman who was caught in adultery. Her accusers wanted to stone her, and Jesus says he did not condemn her, and he told her to go and sin no more. He was giving her the opportunity to start fresh with his grace. Another key principle to purity that lasts is to keep a surrendered heart. The popularity of digital dating and matchmaking reality shows and just such an emphasis on sensuality, we have the pressure to find that special someone more than ever before. And as a result, there's a lot of confusion and debate about how Christian singles should go about finding a romantic relationship. A lot of the questions that are swirling around circles of Christian singles today go something like this. Is internet dating okay? Are dating apps okay? After all, God can't steer a parked car, can he? We need to be proactive, don't we? Why shouldn't women pursue men? Guys need a healthy nudge every now and then, don't they? Just like Ruth gave to Boaz. What's so wrong with dating around? Isn't that how you find the right person? How will you ever discover what kind of person you're compatible with unless you play the field? Is it really such a bad thing for a Christian to get romantically involved with a non-believer? It's the only way that person may ever hear the gospel. Now, all of these questions expose a deeper root issue in our Christian culture today, and that is self-focused living has replaced cross-centered living. Now, don't get me wrong. Just because someone desires to be married doesn't automatically mean that that person is being selfish. The desire for a human love story was given to us by God. He is the one who invented romance in the first place, and he's very much behind the idea of marriage. But when the pursuit of our own happiness becomes a higher priority than surrendering our lives to God and trusting him with every detail of our lives, we are missing the mark. Most of the common debates about how Christians should date center from a mentality that says, how much can I pursue my own desires and get what I want and yet still remain on God's good side? And that's definitely the mentality that I had as a Christian young person. 
again, it's like that ever popular notion from youth groups, how far is too far. As Christian teenagers, we always wanted to know how much pleasure we could get away with and still call ourselves Christians. And again, we should have been asking an entirely different question. How far can I go to honor God in this area of my life? Having that mindset would have immediately cleared up our confusion about how to conduct ourselves in romantic relationships. But we wanted to have it our way. So we were constantly playing with compromise and coming up with elaborate justifications as to why our behavior was acceptable in God's eyes. Really not much has changed since those high school days 25 plus years ago. Entire books have been written in the Christian world that provide today's Christians with spiritual sounding reasons for why surrendering our love lives to Christ is unnecessary and legalistic and why we should be free to pursue relationships the same way the rest of the world does. When I look at Christian history, I see examples of men and women who understood what it meant to lay everything down for the sake of Christ, including their desire for marriage and family. Just like Abraham surrendering Isaac, they willingly laid their most sacred and priceless blessings on the altar before God. They realized that if he desired them to be married, he would make it clear in his own perfect time and way. But he must always come first and he must always be implicitly trusted. Throughout Christian history, in recent decades and in past ages, men and women entrusted their romantic desires to God, declaring that obedience and surrender to him was of far greater importance than their own personal agenda. For some of them, like Amy Carmichael and Gladys Aylward and John Hyde, that commitment meant giving up the desire and dream for marriage completely in order to serve Christ without distraction. For other people throughout Christian history, it meant stepping into marriage for the glory of God, not merely for their own satisfaction and fulfillment. I often tell the story of Richard and Sabina Wormbrandt. They were married, they had a happy life together, but they willingly gave up what they had and allowed their spouse to be basically placed on the altar for Christ because their love for Christ was stronger even than their love for each other. And after that season of persecution and imprisonment, their marriage relationship was stronger than ever before because they had lived for the glory of God and not for their own selfish desires. Jim and Elizabeth Elliot's story also beautifully illustrated this pattern. Before they were married, when they felt drawn to a relationship, they immediately surrendered their desires to God and they committed to wait on his guidance and timing before rushing ahead with their own plans. Elizabeth wrote a good and perfect gift to these natural desires, but so much more than necessary that they be restrained, controlled, even crucified, that they might be reborn in power and purity for God. For us, this was the way we had to walk, and we walked it. Jim seeing it his duty to protect me, I seeing it mine to wait quietly, not to attempt to woo or entice. And Jim and Elizabeth Elliot didn't just wait on God for a week. They didn't just wait a month or a year. Five years passed while these two young people sought God's direction. They remained committed to each other, but they were careful to guard their emotions and pursue nothing more than a Christ-centered friendship until God showed them otherwise. The road was narrow and lonely, but they understood the difference between self-focused human love and a love story scripted by the God of creation. Another quote from Elizabeth Elliot says this, A man's love for a woman ought to hold her to the highest. Her love for him ought to do the same. I did not want to turn Jim aside from the call of God to distract his energies or in any way to stand between him and surrender. That was what I understood real love to mean. Purity comes at a high price. Sometimes the sacrifice makes little sense to others, but when offered to him, it is always accepted. 
That is such a different mindset from this do whatever makes you happy approach that we are so used to today. Most of the common questions that swirl around modern Christianity about dating relationships didn't even come into the picture for people like Jim and Elizabeth Elliot or Richard and Sabina Wormbrandt because they were focused on the glory of God and not their own selfish agenda. Oswald Chambers, the author of My Utmost for His Highest, met his wife, Biddy, during his preparation for the mission field. They shared an incredible kindred spirit and a like-minded passion for God, and marriage seemed to be the obvious fit. And yet Oswald knew that his desires must be first fully surrendered to Jesus Christ. Jesus must come first, even if it meant that he was never to be married to Biddy. He wrote these words to her, God has all the circumstances in his hand. In his hand, my whole life and yours with me must be for him and not for a domestic bliss. Now later, God did direct Oswald and Biddy to get married and to labor together in his kingdom. And they had the beautiful satisfaction of knowing that he had been given his rightful place as Lord over their decision. No matter how our selfish, fleshly side may feel about it, laying everything on the altar before Jesus Christ, allowing him to do with our lives whatever he sees fit is where true Christianity begins. And our desire for marriage must be no exception. So here are some final thoughts that I want to share with you about real purity. If it doesn't flow from a heart of surrender to Jesus Christ, it's empty and hollow. Let's not fall for those ear-tickling messages out there that require anything less than absolute abandonment to the one who gave his very life for us. He took up his cross and he asks us to do the same, including in this precious area of our lives. Let's never forget that on the other side of surrender, we will find the greatest joy. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to learn more about building a Christ-centered life and read more articles on true purity, please visit us at setapartgirl.com. I pray you have a blessed and Christ-centered week.